important if you'd like to make sure your contacts are in fact updated and have those correct email addresses. Okay, so thank you so much. At this time, we're going to um, excuse the children to Sunday school. And for everyone else, please take a moment to meet and greet each other. Fast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. The word of the Lord. All right, we'll do that again. Good morning. Good to see all of you. This is a special day. I'm going to fiddle with this a little bit. It's my first sermon as the pastor here at Trinity Presbyterian Church, so it's special and significant and exciting for me. Um, we had to start that way, right? Oh, yeah, thank you. Thank you. I think somebody planted that microphone just to see, just to give me a little bit of a test here <laughs> as I came up. Um, I'm grateful. I'm humbled. It's been an incredible week. Many of you have brought us food. We thank you. We probably haven't thanked you enough individually, but we are well fed and we are feeling so grateful to be a part of this, of this community. So I was thinking about all this week and even prior to this, where do we start? Where would I start? as we kick off a new chapter of ministry here in my life and with all of you here at Trinity. So I thought as I was praying through different sermon topics, I was thinking maybe we should start with a sermon series on, on politics. <laughs> it, it's a joke, yeah. Or, or, or maybe money, we should start there with a sermon series on money. Good, we can laugh here together. Um, but the more I thought about it, the more I thought that the sermon series that I had helped plan from the church where I was coming from called Redeemer, San Diego would be a really good fit here at Trinity as well. And it's called Not Like Us. That's the sermon series. And before we dig into the text and talk about our focus here this morning, I just want to set the stage for this sermon series. So Not Like Us, it's a focus on what theologians call the incommunicable attributes of God. Fancy technical word for all the ways that God is not like us. Not like us. The Bible says we need to see two things about our humanity. One is that we were made, created in the image of God. We were created to be like Him and to reflect Him. Very important. But also, the Bible says we need to 
be aware of the ways that we were created and made to not be like God. And both we need to affirm. It sounds, I know, a little bit abstract, but there are ways we were created to be like God. We were created to be gracious and loving, to be in relationship like Him. That's what it means to be made in His image. But on the other hand, God is eternal, and we have a beginning. God is in control of everything. We try to be in control of so many things in our lives, but we, we realize we're in control of very little. God is transcendent, and above and beyond us, we are finite and limited. And it sounds, I know, a little bit abstract and out there. How could God's incommunicable attributes possibly make a practical difference in my life? How is that going to be helpful to me? I want to make a case, and we're going to look at this for about six weeks together, that it is immensely helpful and practical. In fact, I think it's essential. Because you could say two very important, maybe the most important factors that we carry with us into every life decision, every interaction, every relationship. Two things, our view of ourselves, who am I, and our view of God, are impacted by this idea of who God is and His attributes. View of ourselves. We tend to have an overinflated view of ourselves, don't we? Our self-importance, our self-reliance, our self-sufficiency. Even when we struggle with self-confidence, often it's because we have such an inflated view of what we should be. And this is our standard way up here, and we can't ever meet it. And when we lose sight of the ways that God is not like us, we can mistakenly, we can futilely try to be God. We can try to be like God in ways we were never tended, intended to. Or we can put other things in God's place, things that are good things, and we can enlarge those and inflate those things to take the place of God in our lives that they were never intended to have as our ultimate security, our ultimate hope and comfort. So that's the view of ourselves. Our view of God is often very deflated. As a pastor, in talking with people who are Christians and those who are interested in talking about Christianity, a lot of times people will say, well, my God would never do that. I would never worship or follow a God or believe in a God like that. And so we have our own grid of God that we create. We often deflate God to be manageable, understandable to us. I was looking for the origin of this quote. Maybe you've heard it, but I couldn't find the... the um, the original author, the one who spoke this, but, he's, but the quote is this, God made man in his own image, and ever since, man has been returning the favor. And I think that is so true. Looking at the ways that God is not like us restores a proper view of ourselves, which allows us to be truly human, which is so freeing and which is so life-giving as we let go of this idea that we have to be God. And at the same time, it restores a proper view of God to our lives. That God is glorious. That God is beautiful. And that enlarges our love for Him, our trust in Him, and our joy in Him. So, for our first sermon series, our first sermon series ever in this new chapter of life at Trinity Presbyterian Church, I thought how appropriate it would be so that the focus, not on me as a new pastor, not first on the exciting things that God might have before us as a church, but our focus would be on God, and that we would direct our eyes and our hearts to Him. So this morning's focus, specifically, will be on how God is unchanging. 
And in the passage we read from James, James takes this doctrine, God's unchangeability, his immutability, to help people who are facing very practical, very real trials in their lives. And the connection is, one of the things that comes with every trial and every test that we face in life is change, right? Or maybe we can put it another way and flip it. The changes we go through in life always involve a trial, always involve a test that is specifically designed by God to strengthen our faith in Him. So in the changes of life, good changes and bad changes, we are given from God the opportunity to learn deep in our souls the practical value of the truth that God is unchanging. So we're going to look at three points. You have them in your bulletin if you like to follow along. First, our lives are constantly changing. Our constantly changing lives. Secondly, God is unchanging. And thirdly, how God uses change in our lives. So our constantly changing lives. The ancient Greek philosopher, Heraclitus, he was one of these original OG Greek philosophers. And he said, the only thing that is constant is change. Or you may have heard this quote. He said, no man ever steps into the same river twice. Everything's changing. Even that river, it's flowing. You step into it again, it's a different river. I want you to do a quick exercise. We're going to come back to this. So, humor me with this. Could you write down a list right now? Or just keep track in your mind if you're not writing notes of everything that's recently changed in your life or things that are about to change. What are the things that are changing right now in your life? It could be job. Job change. Maybe you started dating. Maybe you stopped dating. Maybe you just got married. Maybe you are having your first child or having another child. Maybe your kids are going to a different stage in their development and you're getting used to that. Maybe you're sending off one of your kids. Maybe you have a broken or strained relationship. Maybe you've recently moved. Maybe your company was bought out. Maybe you have a new boss, a new school. Or maybe you're getting ready for every parent's favorite change at this time of year. Your kids are going back to school. And you're really excited about that. So some things on your list, as you're thinking through that in your minds, and maybe you're tracking it down, some of those things are unwelcome changes. Some of those things are hard changes. Some of those things you've chosen and you've planned for and you're really excited about those changes in your life and you're happy. My family, as we've just moved here two weeks ago, our list is pretty long right now. We, I didn't write my own list, but if I did, it would probably take up a whole page. We've, we've moved here. We're excited. Life has changed as we've started this new adventure in Orange County with all of you. But change not only happens in the things in our immediate realm of influence, it's also the things around us that change, right? Cultural norms and values change. Depending with time, uh, across time and depending on where you are in the world, those things change. What is considered right and wrong and true and false. Presidents change and are about to change. Our cities, our neighborhoods, our communities, the demographics of our, of our cities and where we live, those things change as well. And sometimes we like those changes. We welcome those and we embrace those. And sometimes we don't like those changes. And we can become fearful. We can become anxious. And we long for the way that things used to be. So this morning, no matter where you're coming here with regard to your faith, all of us, regardless of our faith commitment, we have to figure out how we're going to make sense of change. Changes in our life. 
And if you're here this morning and you're still exploring Christianity and you're thinking about the person of Jesus and what he's all about, I want to say, first of all, we're so glad that you're here with us. At Trinity, we long to be a place that's safe and helpful for people who are just investigating Christianity. But whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, or you come from a different faith background, or even no faith at all, we all experience the reality that life is always changing. And the question is, how do we handle it? How are we going to make sense of it? Especially important, and James is talking about these things for the hard changes in life. The things that throw us off. The losses and the transitions of life that are painful. We need a reference point. When change is happening all around us, when life is always changing, we're searching, all of us are searching for a reference point. The history of philosophy, going back to Heraclitus, going back to Plato and Aristotle, and forward is, in one sense, the search for a reference point. How do we know it's true? How do we make sense of life? Everything's changing, so what can we count on in a world of change? Without a a reference point, with all the change in life, we wonder, what's true? Where can I find security? Where can I find comfort and safety? Something reliable as I experience life that's always shifting, always transitioning. Since we just moved to the area, we've been moving around or driving around various places. And like Darian mentioned, we've been using GPS. We've been still getting lost and still having to find our way around. And around every corner, it's something new for us. And we're very thankful for Siri and GPS and all this, because I remember when I first moved to Southern California, there was no Siri, there was no GPS, there was the Thomas Guide. Who remembers the Thomas Guide? I was like, this is how I have to figure out how to get around Southern California? It's like 200 pages. I'm like driving around, you have to pull over every five minutes and figure out, where am I? I'm disoriented. But when we're lost, when we're lost in our cars or trying to figure out where we are, we need a reference point. We look for that. I'm going, where's, where's the 55? Where's the 5? Where's Tustin Avenue? So if I have that in my mind, then I can figure out how to get back on track. And it's the same for us in life. When change hits us, we often feel like, where am I? How do I get back on track? How do I get back home to something secure and something reliable? And we ask, where's my reference point? The passage in James was written to help people who are dealing with that very question. Dealing with change. All changes, big and small. Changes, good and bad, in our lives, he says, are a kind of trial. They're a kind of test. Paradoxically, the change, the changes in our life, that life is fluctuating. Life is always changing. God has designed those to build in us steadfastness of soul. We're going to talk about that specific word more a little bit later. James knows when we're going through changes that try us and test us, we can become spiritually disoriented. We say, where am I? Where am I going? And wonder whether God is a reliable reference point for us, especially in those hard changes in life. Is God someone we can trust? We wonder whether He loves us. Why would God allow me to experience such a hard and drastic and difficult change if His purposes are good for me? James says, I know those are the questions that you're wrestling with, and I want to help you with that by directing you to the truth that God is unchangeable. There's a video, I don't know if you saw it, I just saw it this week, I guess it's gone viral, like 24, 25 million views. 
And so it's of a little boy. He's in a martial arts dojo. And so he's being put to the test. He's standing there before his classmates and his sensei, and he has to hit a board. He has to break through a board with his left hand. That's his test. So he's standing there, and he's going, and he's doing that, and he's struggling with his left hand. And the sensei is standing there to the side, and he says, you're pulling back. You're pulling back. Push through. Punch through. And finally, he breaks it, but he breaks it with his right hand. So the boy's kind of shaking. He's standing there. And the sensei just looks at him and says, what happened? What happened? And the boy's just, just kind of shaking. He's kind of just standing there. And the sensei gets closer. He walks towards him. He gets on one knee, and he looks him in the eye and says, what happened, son? And the boy says, as he starts crying, it's hard to punch through with my left hand. And the sensei says, but you've done it before. He's down there on one knee and he looks at him and he says, it's okay that you're crying. He says, we cry as men, but it's going to teach you something. It's going to teach you to push through and you're going to be stronger. So he has that moment with him and he steps back and then he lets him go again. Test number two. And the little boy, first punch, left hand. And he breaks the board. So a question about that. Was the boy stronger or weaker because of the test? Clearly he was stronger. Was the sensei good or evil for putting the boy through a test that he knew would be very hard and would make him cry? And you watch the video, even you hear me telling this story, you say, that sensei is incredible. He's a very good, very wise sensei. James' point here is, whenever God brings change, Whenever God brings trial, it's a test for us to come out more steadfast, stronger. And God remains good in all changes, even when they're hard. That's why in verse 16, James says, do not be deceived. If you look at that again with me, he says, change is disoriented, change is confusing, change can deceive us. What does that look like? When change hits us, and when change hits us hard, it's possible to be deceived, James says. It's possible to question God's character. Is He good? To question God's purpose and plan for us. Is that a good purpose? I would not have chosen this change. And to wonder whether His promises are trustworthy. All these things can be called into question. Or, and I think it's important to look at the other side, as we're talking about change, That when we see the changes as good things, things that we're really happy about happening in our lives, promotion, raises, marriage, bought a new home, have a new child, we can also be deceived by these good changes. And forget, as James reminds us, that these are good gifts from our Heavenly Father. These are not the ultimate things in our lives to put our ultimate security and hope in, but they're wonderful and good gifts to be received in gratitude from God. And James is saying what we won't learn, that we won't learn what God has for us in change. If we're not aware that often in life we can become disoriented, we can become deceived, and how change can do that to us. James is pretty intense about this. If you look at verse 13 through 15, he says, there's one path that leads away from God, that leads to death, he says. And the other path is a, is a path of blessing and life. And a deeper love for God. For my own personal life, example of the first kind of change that I was talking about, there was a really hard transition that we were going through between the first church where I served 
and the second church, which was down in San Diego with Harbor. Um, I didn't have a full-time job at the time. I was transitioning out of that church. We had our second child on the way, which was somewhat of a surprise, and we were wondering, how is this all going to work out? So we didn't know where we were going to be called into ministry. We didn't like necessarily exactly where we were living, and we were feeling a lot of darkness, a lot of discouragement set in. And I remember going to pray. This was in Long Beach in a park. And I was praying through this, and I was kind of just pouring out, like, what is going on? I don't understand this. I thought this was the church that you had led me to. I thought this was the community that you were calling me to serve. So I was all disoriented, all confused. And I remember realizing while I was praying that what I was really dealing with in my heart was the question of whether God was good. And it just hit me. And at that moment... Somehow, God directed me to Jeremiah 32, 41 as I was praying. And I remember that day finding this passage. And in that passage, it says, I will take delight in them to do them good. And I will plant them in this land assuredly with my whole heart and my whole soul. That is not, God is not just His job to do good for us, but He delights in it. It's His joy with His whole heart and soul. He promises to do good to us. And I needed that at that moment in my life. And James here in verse 17 says we need that. In all changes in life, in all transitions in life, we need to root back into the reality that God is unchanging. So that's our second point. James verse 17. He says, I want to ground my encouragement to all of you going through all kinds of change in this truth that God is unchanging. And God as an unchanging God doesn't mean He's static or unresponsive to us. Instead, it means God is unchanging in His person, in His purpose, and in His promise. These are the things that won't change. These are the things that won't ever change. And you think about the opposite of those things. Then we can start to feel the impact of the relevance of this truth in our lives. If God could change His person, that means God could get either better or worse. And if God could get better, then that means He's now incomplete. Or if he could change for the worse, we live in constant fear and insecurity of the fact that the ruler and the creator of the universe might not be good anymore. If God could change his purpose, then we'd have complete insecurity about what would, what would, what's going to happen. Is this going to happen in the future? Is that going to happen in the future? We would have no idea whether our, his personal purpose for us is connected to a greater purpose. Or if God could change his promise. A promise that has changed, that's not really a promise at all. If God could cross his fingers behind his back and say, sorry, my fingers were crossed. The point is that if God were not unchanging, then every single aspect of our faith would unravel. We would live in a universe without any constants, without any comfort, and without any security. And that idea might seem theological and abstract, but throughout the Bible it becomes very practical, especially in the Psalms. The Psalms, in those prayers, they take this theological concept and turn it into a picture, into a metaphor. And this truth is described through the picture of a rock. God is our rock. And we see in the Psalms how it needs to be a crucial and indispensable part of our prayer life. Psalm 18.2, God is my rock in whom I take refuge. Psalm 28.1, to you, O Lord, I call my rock. Psalm 62.2, he alone is my rock and my salvation. God is a rock, is immovable. God is a rock, is unbreakable. 
Okay, there was a picture. You guys saw the preview of that picture I was trying to show. I don't know how many of you saw it, and if we can get that picture up. But before we moved here to Orange County, we visited Joshua Tree National Park. I know some of you love that park. There it is. And so what we heard was that the thing to do in Joshua Tree is to play on the rocks. And that's perfect. We have four boys, four young, young boys, and so it's like, that's the perfect place for us. Let's go. So the boys can be unleashed to play on the rocks. But if you see a rock, especially like that one, I know you can't see it completely clear, but it's kind of like perched between those two other rocks. And if you're standing there right next to that rock, an uncontrollable urge that overcomes you. And what is that urge? You have to see if you can push that rock down. Right? I don't know if it's just a guy thing, but you see those rocks, and there's a big rock on a small rock, and you're like... I can push that. <laughs> and so I did. Not that rock, but a rock like that. I was like, let's just see. Let's just see if we can move it. And so we put our hands on this giant rock, on a little medium-sized rock, and we start to push oh, with all our might. Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. The rock is like laughing at us going, yeah, nice try, tough guy. The rocks are immovable and unbreakable. Like that, God's person, God's purpose, God's promises for us, they're immovable. They're unbreakable through Jesus. No matter what changes in our lives, these things will always be our constant reference point. Let's move to our third point. Our lives are constantly changing, but God is unchanging. So how do these two things come together so that God grows us for our own good through the changes that he brings into our lives? Well, in my personal experience as well as in my pastoral experience, I think we, we all tend to move in one of two directions when it comes to change, especially big change. One is we get stuck. We keep looking to, to the past. We can't let go. We can't move on. The second direction we tend to move is that we just skip over. We don't have time to think about that. We just get really busy. We focus on what needs to be done, and we just zoom past as quickly as possible the transitions and the changes in our lives. James says in verse 12 here, and earlier on in the chapter, chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, says there's a third option for you in change. Not supposed to get stuck. You're not supposed to skip over. You're supposed to be steadfast. To develop strength of soul, endurance, and perseverance. That word, steadfastness, the Greek word is hupomone. It means remaining under, bearing a load, patient endurance and fortitude. And a key aspect of biblical steadfastness is learning to remain anchored to the right reference point. Not ourselves, not the things that change, but something outside of ourselves. I like, we sang it in, the, in one of the songs that we sang this morning. This idea of having an anchored soul. I think that brings out the concept of steadfastness really well. That we have a soul anchored in God. That just like a ship that's anchored down in the ocean below, waves can come. The storms can pass through. But the ship remains anchored and strong. And that doesn't mean that we're stoic, that we're unemotional, that we just pass through life without being affected. Not at all. Look at David in the Psalms. Look at the Apostle Paul. Look at Jesus. 
They were emotionally alive. They were passionate about life, but they were steadfast. Steadfast in something greater. Jesus said, the will of my, the, I, my life is focused on doing the will of my Father in heaven. He was steadfast. And that's a part of what draws us in to those people. So I've been with moving. We signed all kinds of terms and agreements. All these different, it's turning on the gas and turning on the electricity and trash and all this stuff. And so we have to sign all these terms and agreements and you never read those. You know, you just go, agree, 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 fine, get it over with. But every now and then, if you look at it closely, you'll see somewhere down there in the fine print, it might say, these terms are subject to change. So, whatever, you just click it anyway. If it's iTunes or something like that, they're always sending you these agreements like, stop doing this, just forget it, whatever, subject to change, I don't care. But if it was our rent, a lease, and it said, this rent is subject to change at any moment, then I wouldn't be too thrilled about that. Or if we're standing there on our wedding day, for those of you who are married, or if you can imagine this happening, and we go through the vows, and at the end of the vows you say, by the way, this agreement is subject to change at any moment. That would not be good. The reality is, all of our lives are subject to change. We look to other things for security and comfort, to be our rock, our jobs, our success, relationships. Could even be our fitness, or our health, our home, our place, our routines, all good gifts from our Heavenly Father, but they are all subject to change. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Christianity says that our ultimate reference point in all the changes of our lives is not simply a doctrine that God is unchanging, but it's the doctrine come to life the person of God, the purpose of God, His promises come to life and in action in the work of Jesus for us in the gospel. The unchanging reference point we need in all of life is the truth of the gospel. It is not subject to change, and that's where we need to have our souls anchored. The truth that despite our sin and brokenness, despite our own stubbornness and unwillingness to change as God would call us to change, in the right ways, God still loves us. He delights in us. He is committed to doing good for us. He accepts us. He receives us. He forgives all of our sins and our greatest failures. And God is at work changing you, even through your sins and failures, changing you to make you more and more into the image of Christ throughout all the changes of your life. So an essential part of spiritual formation of maturity is learning to receive all change as a gift from our Heavenly Father that's designed to make us more steadfast, to anchor our souls more firmly in the gospel. So all change is a good and perfect gift from our Heavenly Father. He's anchoring us to His covenant love. He's anchoring us to His purpose to bring us shalom, wholeness, and peace, to His compassion for all our brokenness and pain. Isaiah 54.10 says, For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. So, if you could go back to that list, Maybe you wrote it down. Maybe it's in your mind, the list that you made of all the things changing in your life. How might God be at work 
in those things to anchor your soul more firmly in the gospel? How might God be at work in your life to remove that anchor from the things that are subject to change and to plant your anchor more firmly in the things that are not changing? Together, I know we're experiencing change as a church as well. And it's my prayer for me and Trinity that we don't just skip over, that we don't get stuck in the past, and we don't rush through what God is doing in the here and now as we're waiting and building relationship and vision and community together. But that we would look forward with great hope, knowing the things that never change, the unchanging gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, you are a rock and our fortress. And I don't know what everybody had on their minds or what they might have written on the pages as they were tracking the changes in their lives, but I'm sure many are dealing with very hard transitions. We deal with losses that really sting deeply. We deal with good changes, things that we're excited about and encouraged about. But I pray, I pray for all of us as we process those changes that we, we wouldn't get stuck, we wouldn't skip over, but we would learn to be more steadfast. Steadfast in the things that never change. Lord, bring comfort, bring patience, Bring compassion to those who are really suffering through a hard trial and change. This morning, I pray. May they feel, may they sense the firmness of the promises of your purpose of the gospel. And may they re-plant themselves, re-anchor themselves in you this morning. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus, your Son. Amen.